Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. Thank you. This season of Things Not Seen is sponsored in part by Loyola University's Institute for Pastoral Studies. Find out more at luc.edu slash ips. From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. On today's show, we welcome back our guest, Rick Lee James. He's a podcast host, a traveling musician, and a songwriter. He's going to be talking about his new album, Thunder, which features a song by the late Rich Mullins, as well as his podcast and his Twitter feed about Mr. Rogers. Stay tuned. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Rick Lee James. He's a worship leader, singer and songwriter, speaker, author, and podcast host. Rick Lee James has over two decades of experience in ministry, and over the years, he's used music to share the gospel in numerous venues, from the National Worship Leader Conference to the world-famous Ryman Auditorium. He's the host of the podcast, Voices in My Head. He's worked with numerous musicians from across the musical spectrum, and he's interviewed a number of luminaries, including Brett McCracken, Ian Morgan Crown, Walter Brueggemann, the Brothers McClurg. He was a guest on our show a couple of years ago when we talked about his most recent album, Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations. Rick Lee James has a new album coming out called Thunder. It'll be released in the fall, and it will feature some tracks that were written by the late Rich Mullins, and we'll get into all of that in our conversation. Rick Lee James, welcome back to Things Not Seen. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Well, I know you're just coming back from a conference, and you were doing that down in Indiana. So as a way of getting into our conversation, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing for the last couple of days? Oh, yeah. I was at Escape to the Lake, is what it was called. And it's kind of a retreat set up in Cedar Lake, Indiana, where a lot of independent artists, uh, most of them who do at least some sort of creative endeavors in the faith, but are not necessarily what we would call CCM artists. They come together and we made music for about three days straight. Some of them were there for four days. I was only there for three days of it. But we had wonderful times of music and fellowship and people who are not artists are also welcome to come because there's just a lot of people who enjoy really good independent music that is not necessarily something you're going to hear on mainstream radio. And the beauty of it, we counted it up a minute ago. I think we said there was 17 artists there. And the wonderful thing about it is all of them were just so diverse. There wasn't a copycat in the bunch. You know, like sometimes when you'll go and hear somebody play and you think, oh, that sounded like this group. Uh, There wasn't a lot of that. You know, there was just a lot of people who were really trying to speak and play from very deep creative places and were trying to do really what I think God 
put them there to do, you know, and, and try to share their hearts. And that was one of the most beautiful things about the whole weekend together. And the artists and the attendees, there's no separation between us other than the artists have a, a yellow wristband and other people had a blue one <laughs> just to kind of differentiate us. But we ate together, we fellowshiped together, and we just spent three wonderful days in the creative process and just enjoying, you know, sitting back and enjoying what people had to share. And, and UTR Media is the one that, that sponsored it, also out of Chicago here. And they just do some wonderful podcasts and wonderful shows and have a lot of great artists that they feature. So I was really honored. This is their sixth year doing this, and it was great to be a part of it. Now, you have made your living as an independent artist. You write songs, you publish songs and you perform all over the country. Is that correct? It would be debatable whether I make a living at it, but yes, I <laughs> I certainly attempt to do that. I spend my time traveling a lot, and uh, so this weekend is just another one of those weekends. I'll be playing back in Merrillville, Indiana tomorrow morning and then traveling a few hours to get home, and next week I'll be on the road again. But a conference like this where you get a chance to get exposed to new audiences and network with other musicians, that's vitally important for the kind of work that you do because mm-hmm. with the music industry blowing up, it's no longer that somebody's going to be bankrolled. You you really are. Yeah. Every musician is kind of like a small business owner, aren't they? Really, yeah. And the, the hustle kind of never ends. You're just constantly doing it. And I think all of us who are at that conference, some of us have had a lot more commercial success than others. But all of us would probably say the same thing. It's It's just that constant struggle of trying to get bookings. And you're really not I don't know too many people who are doing it exclusively because uh, most of us are either, you know, trying to drive Uber on the side or substitute teach or do something. I'm I'm a music pastor part-time at my church in addition to all the other things that I do. And we don't do it necessarily for the money. We certainly do it because I just feel like there's nothing else we can do, you know, it's and, and I don't mean that like we just couldn't work a job or something like normal people. It's just a matter of I feel like there's a calling that many of us have. And it was a, an interesting fellowship this weekend among other people whose hearts are burning to share something artistic and something that conveys the truth in a world where truth is sometimes hard to find. In the 1980s and 1990s, secular music, the secular music industry, went from being a multi-million dollar to a billion dollar and then multi-billion dollar industry. And you just mentioned CCM, that's contemporary Christian music. Right. And in the 1990s and the 2000s, contemporary Christian music and all of the merchandise around that at Christian bookstores and others, that also moved from being a multi-million to a multi-billion dollar industry. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there are some who might think that, you know, secular music is where the real music happens or mainstream music happens, and that contemporary Christian music is kind of a sidelight. But contemporary Christian music is very much a powerhouse as well. Mm -hmm. First of all, do I have that correct? I think you're pretty much correct, as as far as I know about it, yeah. But you're, you're talking now about artists who are even outside the mainstream of contemporary Christian music, who are, if you will, indie artists who are motivated more by a desire to share the gospel and love of the Lord than they are by the idea that they're going to make material success. Yeah. Just the idea of doing that is a lot more important to them than the commercial aspect. And and it's hard. I'll give you a good example of one of the artists who was at the lake, somebody who I have just immense respect for and is incredibly talented. His name is Andrew Osinga and also hosts a wonderful podcast called The Pivot, which is about people that 
have made a huge change in the middle of their life, whether it be they've gone from doing construction, now they're doing music, or vice versa, things like that. But he has played music as an independent artist for years, but he also has been like the guitarist for Jars of Clay and Stephen Curtis Chapman and Cademan's Call and like just really like in the Christian music world, the big name bands, especially back in the 90s and 2000s. And, and you know, even someone like him has really experienced the struggle of trying to be an artist because unless you're those huge, huge names, I don't know anybody that's really almost making a living. You know, I've had friends before that were playing in bands that were on Letterman one night and then they're coming home and substitute teaching the next day, you know, and, and that's just the reality of the music business, unfortunately, and especially with streaming the way it is now and people getting fractions of pennies per play. It has to be the love of it, and especially with a lot of these people, the love of the Lord and wanting to create new narratives with music. And there was even some great poets this weekend that had some just haunting poets they would share before they would sing. And, and, and I think poetry is almost a lost art. So when you come to this festival or a festival like this, part of it is to get exposure. But what I'm hearing is that another important and vital part of it is to get connected to new energy and to get new ideas and to be inspired. Am I yeah, hearing that correctly? That's totally correct. And UTR Media's uh, motto is is rediscovering your soul connection. And I, I think, I, for lack of a better word, I feel like that's what happened this weekend for a lot of people who came. And there are people who have come for the last six years consistently. This was my first year, but they kind of welcome you into the family when you come and, and hope you'll come back next year. You know, it's like they, it kind of ends like summer camp a little bit with people kind of <laughs> giving their testimonies of what the weekend has meant to them. And <laughs> But it was it was great. And, and I, I can't remember if I said it while we were talking here or before, but I was able to this morning I was invited to lead everyone in communion because I am an ordained minister as well in the Church of the Nazarene. And so it was just my honor to be able to share the Lord's table with these beautiful people and encourage everyone as we kind of go out on our way that uh, I, we feel like the Lord is helping us in this time and encouraging. So You mentioned that the motto was, and I, I may not get it right, but reconnecting to your soul connection? or uh, I believe it's rediscover your soul connection is what the motto is. And so if you feel comfortable sharing, how did you rediscover your soul connection these past couple of days? Oh, for me, this past couple of days was just wonderful meeting so many new people and just having, for lack of a better word, it's fellowship. You know, it's an old an old word that we don't always use, but there were people that I met that I feel like in the first five minutes of meeting them, we were old friends. And my senior pastor that I work with, he says, you know, nobody understands pastors, but pastors. And there was a sense I told somebody about halfway through, I said, you know, nobody understands artists, but artists. And we're not even sure we understand ourselves, really. But it was great to just be with people who shared that connection. Some of us had gone through significant losses over the past year. And just to have somebody that, because you don't generally get up on stage and bleed all over everybody and tell what's going on. And there's times that you just kind of need that time to share. So there was some of that going on. There was times of encouragement. There was a lot of like, hey, here's a new song I've never played before. And I'd love to share it in this safe space. And to me, that's good for my soul to be able to hear that. I'll tell you what else was good. There was mistakes. You know, it wasn't that everything had to be so polished. And when somebody was on the stage, whereas usually you're in a show and you're like desperate to not make a mistake, 
with this, it was like we kind of chuckled it off and we all went, we all do it. You know, we we all missed that note. One of the artists, the guy I was just bragging on a moment ago, um, he forgot his chord progression on one of his songs, just had a mental block and it just left him. And he's like, oh, my goodness, I played this a 100 times. I don't know why I've lost it. But everybody was kind of, ah, it's okay, go on, you know, and, and that's that was refreshing to me. And, and I, it felt so authentic and just so real. And that's what I hope all of us are trying to do with our music is to be that genuine and that real. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with our guest, Rick Lee James. He's a worship leader, a singer-songwriter, a speaker, an author, and a podcast host. He's been on our show before to talk about a recent album, Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations, and he's back today to talk about a new album called Thunder. We'll be back in a moment. I'm David Dalt, host of Things Not Seen, conversations about culture and faith, heard each week here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. I want to invite you to a very special event. On Monday, September 24th at 6 p.m., we'll be doing a live taping of Things Not Seen at the Seminary Co-op Bookstore on Woodlawn Avenue near the University of Chicago in Hyde Park. I'll be talking with John Fee about his new book, Believe Me, The Evangelical Road to Donald Trump. The book looks at the politics and history behind the unprecedented election of 2016, when close to 80% of evangelicals helped propel Donald Trump to the White House. The event is free and open to the public. You can RSVP at SEMCOOP.com. That's SEMCOOP.com. So join us Monday, September 24th at 6 p.m. for a live taping of Things Not Seen at the Seminary Co-op Bookstore in Hyde Park. It's going to be a fantastic conversation. I'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Today we're speaking to our guest, Rick Lee James. You may recall that he's been on the show before to tell us about his recent album, Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations. He's back again today to talk about a new album that should be out this fall called Thunder, which will feature, among other things, songs by the late Rich Mullins. In the first segment, you used a phrase that I want to use as a starting point for where we're going now. You say, truth is sometimes hard to find. And I wonder if you'd be willing for our listeners to share a little bit of your own journey, the ways that you have come to be what you are, which is not only a pastor, but also a traveling musician, a worship leader, a person who publishes music, and a person who talks to other creative people in your podcast. That's a lot. Hmm. And for those that maybe are interested in taking a similar journey or would be interested in hearing about your journey, I wonder if you could maybe give us the, the broad strokes of that. Wow, that's a lot to think about. I'll do my best to cover it in a timely manner. Well, I have been doing this podcast, which really started a lot of this, called Voices in My Head. And I'm nearly up to 300 episodes. I, I think I'll be to 300 before the end of the year. And when I started it, I was working in a church, but I was still trying to do some music on the side, feeling like I was needing something more than what I was doing. And the podcast opened up to many conversations. One of my first guests was Michael Card, who has always been a real inspiration to me and to many people who write. But not only because of him being an amazing singer and songwriter, his knowledge of theology and the Bible, I mean, he has, I think, a couple of master's degrees in theology, and really his training is very pastoral-centered. So for me, I wanted to try and enact my calling in different ways. I've often felt like sort of a square peg in a round hole when it comes to ministry. I have been 
raised in a Christian home my whole life. I've certainly had many points of reconnection to the faith over the years, but a lot of my life, at least since high school, once I established I really was called into ministry, has been figuring out what does that look like. And my journey has been a lot uh, that led me to where I am now. I've had to discover some new truths about myself. I've been broken at times. I've been divorced. I've been, I'm now remarried. I have a son. Through things like the podcast, I've made connections to some amazing friends and people who have become co-writers, people who have encouraged me to write. Like when I wrote the book, Out of the Depths, A Songwriter's Journey Through the Psalms, which was also a live album that went along with it, uh, Basement Psalms Live. I've had connections from that podcast that brought me to places like the place I talked about, like UTR Media and being interviewed in other places. And it seemed like I had people like you I've met through the podcast, actually, because I initially asked about you because of your being a student of Walter Brueggemann. And I was hoping to interview people like Walter Brueggemann who have so influenced me in my life. So a lot of what I do, I feel like, is that quest for truth and what it means. I am not the same person I was years ago. I feel like I've been through several conversions in my life, always Christian, but definitely becoming a different kind of person and somebody who's less judgmental, I hope, and maybe a lot, hopefully a lot less legalistic than I once was in my younger days. Things that I've changed my mind on over the years, partially because of relationships, you know, that I've that I probably very young me back in high school, I'd probably have some answer for why they're all going to burn in hell or something, you know, just things I'm ashamed of today to even, I, I would never vocalize something like that or even think it at this point, because I just, I'm not God for one thing, and I don't want to pretend like I can be anyone's judge. Were you raised in the Church of the Nazarene, or did you come to that? I have been from day one. I've, okay. I've been Church of the Nazarene. I I don't know how soon after I was born I was in church, but I'm guessing it was the Sunday after. <laughs> sure, sure. And, and it, the positions that you just said, so being more open to interfaith conversations and having an openness to the notion that there may be grace that extends beyond just the Christian faith to those of the Muslim faith or to the Jewish faith in whatever way that might be. Is that in line with the positions of the Church of the Nazarene, or are you kind of pushing the envelope there? It probably would depend on who you ask. The denomination has a lot of different people, and the denomination would certainly say that we believe Jesus is Savior and that for, we, we're totally in line with the ancient faith for sure, and we would be in line with even your own faith in many ways in, in Catholicism. I mean, that's our roots, and that's where we come from. So I wouldn't say my opinions are outside of the Christian faith or even the Nazarene Church necessarily, but... I think my opinions are much more grace-filled than they once were, and maybe more grace-filled than some of the people in my denomination would see. There's a real sense in a lot of evangelical churches that we've allowed an extreme form of unhealthy fundamentalist teachings at time creep in to where there's no room for any dialogue or conversation. And so if we, if we don't think that the same way as they do. Well, they're we're in, they're out. By golly, they're out, you know, <laughs> type thing. And I've just find it's, it's not that difficult in those conversations. I've found my faith challenged and encouraged and inspired by people outside of my faith. And I, I hope that they've felt that same way about me as well. 
You've mentioned that this is a journey for you and mm-hmm. that you you have had, as you said a moment ago, many conversion experiences along this journey. Mm-hmm. And the conversion experiences, it sounds like, are both driven by the conversations that you've had with people from your own faith, but from other faiths, but also from some moments of real self-reflection around brokenness. Yeah. And, and I, I love the honesty of that because I, I think I have a similar testimony as well. Mm-hmm. It's both conversation and brokenness that has gotten me to the point where I am. What is it along the way that has been a beacon for you as you're thinking about the ways in which, as you look back now from where you are along that journey to your high school self that you talked about, what were some of the things that were on the horizon that you saw that kept you walking to the point where you are now? Boy, I think it always has to be Jesus for me. Mm -hmm. In some ways, I've been relentlessly pursued (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> even in times when maybe I didn't want to be or want to be a part of it. You know, I referenced my divorce a few minutes ago, which years ago, thankfully, there's been, you know, healing through that and God has helped. And again, I feel like I'm a different person after that. But there was a time in there that I thought, well, maybe I'm just going to give up my faith. I'm so angry and so hurt and so tired. And I just, I remember going in the sanctuary of my church at all places and just letting God have it, you know, and I think I said something to God at that point. I was looking at a cross in our sanctuary, and I think I said, if you were here right now, I'd put you on that cross myself. I was so angry. Wow. And that's that's a pretty harsh. Yeah. <laughs> but it was my heart. I mean, I was just heartbroken. I was so hurting. And um, at the end of this raging, which I don't know if anybody but me knew it was going on in my heart. I did it very privately. But I still remember this moment of it wasn't an audible voice but I almost just felt the I think it was the Holy Spirit speaking into my heart almost like are you done like (laughs) it didn't really hurt you know I mean I get what you're feeling my heart's hurting with you but there was this sense in which I'm a God who's so big I'm the only one who could shoulder that kind of rage you know I'm the only one who can you know, you look at the crucifix and it's like, wow, this is a God who is so intimate to us that he's not content to stay far off. He actually comes voluntarily to enter into suffering with us and even not just suffer, but even to bear what we inflict on him, you know. And gosh, that makes me so humbled to think that we serve a God like that. And and that in my spirit, that's what it felt like that day was okay, are you done? You know, come here, give me a hug, you know. (laughs) And I think I understand a little more now being a father. I have a five-year-old at home. I have one five-year-old and uh, we have four children in heaven because we've gone through a lot of miscarriages. And uh, that's another part of my conversion. (laughs) Lost four children and a grandma and a grandpa over the past couple years. And um, we await and long for the resurrection. And we have so much hope in that. And uh, I don't look at it like other people do, like, well, at least you have your own child. And, you know, my wife and I grieve that loss. And yet again, we find a God who loves us enough to enter into that suffering with us. And it gives me great courage. Even even one of the songs on the new album is about that loss. And there's a line in the song that says, we never met you, but we love you. So rest in the arms of him who loves you and lean on the everlasting arms. Because it's sort of a song that's a letter to my children that we never met, you know. (laughs) And yet, stay close to Jesus and we're going to be there 
as well. When, when Christ returns in the resurrection, whenever that happens, whatever that looks like, we're excited about it. <laughs> I just want to acknowledge, first of all, the trust that you showed in me and in my listeners with feeling free to share that. And thank you for that. And also, I want to express just profound and deepest sympathy for the losses that you've talked about. Both thank you. Those that went before you in terms of your elders, but also those that, as you say, the children that you've not been able to meet. And in my own family, I can say that there's some some deep, not just sympathy, but empathy with that and some experiences that we've had in my immediate family has had that, mm. that where I, I understand a lot of what you're talking about. And you mentioned bringing that into song, and that that is kind of what I'm most curious about. How do you draw upon those thin experiences where you are very close to the suffering of God and God is very close to your suffering? How do you draw on those as a creator, as a songwriter? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer to Mr. Rogers right here. You know, I, I am such a huge fan of Fred Rogers, and I, I even have like a, a Twitter account of Mr. Rogers Say with just quotes because he's been so inspiring to him. I'm so glad they have this new movie about, about him. But he used to say, he's such a wise man, he said he would deal with his feelings and with all of these emotions through his piano. And he would sit down and he said, it's important to, that people find healthy and safe ways that don't hurt other people to get these things out. And he talks about uh, at some point in his life when he was a younger kid and he was chubby and he got picked on, he would come home and he'd let the rage come through his fingers and he would kind of bang on, you know, the piano or if he was happy, he could kind of do that. And he did that from when he was a very small child. I think that's kind of the way I do it too, in some ways. I think I, I'll sit at a piano or grab a guitar and I just kind of enter into the suffering with it. And I don't know how it works. There's a lot of mystery to it, but it it seems to work. <laughs> if you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today to our returning guest, Rick Lee James. He's a worship leader, a singer-songwriter, and a podcast host. The last time he was on the show, we were talking about his album, Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations. Today, we're talking about a new album of his called Thunder. We'll be back in a moment. Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. Liturgical Press is a trusted publisher of resources on liturgy, scripture, theology, and spirituality. They've evolved to serve the changing needs of the Christian church, and they produce resources for pastoral leaders, teachers, engaged learners, and all leaders looking for quality books on faith and culture. Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. We're speaking today to our returning guest, Rick Lee James. He's a worship leader and a singer-songwriter and the host of a wonderful podcast called Voices in My Head. The last time he was on the show, he was speaking to us about an album he produced called Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations. Now he's back to talk to us about a new album called Thunder. So, on this album, Thunder, it gets its title from a song that was never released but was written by the late Rich Mullins. And I recognize that that's sort of a centerpiece for the album. So talk to us a little bit about how you came to be the person producing a version of this song. Yeah, th- uh, wow. Uh, I wish I knew almost how it happened because uh, I feel so honored to kind of have it entrusted to me because I'm really kind of a nobody in the music world. <laughs> but uh, I 
had the privilege of meeting a man named Randy Cox, who was Rich Mullins' first publisher. And when I released my last album, Randy was working at Lifeway as one of their publishers. And so he helped me through the whole process of that last album. And we had just kind of grown to love each other as people, and uh, we had a lot of common interests. We both really loved Thomas Merton, and so we'll get in conversations about Merton. And then he found out that I really appreciated the music of Rich Mullins, and who, who I still consider one of the greatest poets of our time. You know, uh, uh, he's been gone for, I think, 21 years this coming September. But he was you know, come to find out Rich Mullen's first publisher. So when Amy Grant recorded Sing Your Praise to the Lord back in the day, that was because of Randy taking that song. And and come to find out since then, he's Randy's pretty unassuming, but recently I was in his office in Nashville. And I mean, there's just gold record after gold record after gold record on the wall. Everybody from Stephen Curtis Chapman to Michael W. Smith, Point of Grace. I mean, all these people that especially at one time, we're kind of like the biggest in the industry. Barbara Streisand, worked with Barbara Streisand even. So, um, and Scotty McCreary recently had a number one hit with a song that he published, you know, and pushed to them. So he shared some songs with me that had never been released from Rich that were in his care. And I was like, wow, these are great. Thanks for sharing them with me. And then I got a call from him and he was saying, do you think you might want to record, you know, one or two of these? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> that would be amazing. You know, who gets a chance to do that? So Thunder became the one that I settled on. I, I had a chance to record more than one, but I didn't really want to overpopulate the album with other people's music, even if it was Rich Mullins. And so Thunder, it really is the chorus. Uh, it sounded like thunder when you cleared the temple. It sounded like thunder sometimes when you prayed. Incredible wonder when uh, the veil was torn in glory. It sounded like thunder when the stone was rolled away. And so the, the whole song is really just about this thunderous approach. So the album, it's still being mixed right now, but the plan is the album is going to open with Matthew 21 passage of Jesus, uh, me reading Jesus clearing the temple. And then going into that. And what we were hoping to do on this album, again, it's an indie project. So I wanted to make songs that are accessible for churches to use. But we wanted it to be maybe something that could clear the temple a little bit. <laughs> and what I mean by that, the reason I think that scripture is so important, most of us just stop at the passage with, he got the whip and he you know, turned over the tables and he drove the money changers out and the animals and all that. And if you stop there, you miss something very important because then it says people came to Jesus and he healed them. I mean, that's a beautiful way. Sometimes the temple has to be cleared so that healing can begin. And and I think that that more than the thunderous clearing of the temple, sometimes the thunder of God is such a powerful display because he wants to bring healing about not destruction, you know. And so that kind of became the theme of the album, kind of riding in that direction. So Thunder is like the first track. And uh, so just an honor to be able to share something by the late Rich Mullins. And it was originally in a, a completely different form. Uh, it was written back in the 70s, actually. And so his band, Zion, you can still find, I think, a YouTube clip of like his band Zion performing. It's not him singing, but it's different. The structure is different, but one of Rich's co-writers, Lowell Alexander, and another writer uh, and producer named Phil Nash kind of reworked it a bit and 
and that's the version that came to me. And uh, so we did our best with it. And it's the title track of the album now. <laughs> you mentioned the importance that Rich Mullins had to you. Could you sort of flesh that out for me? So what, what did Rich Mullins mean to you as a person who was a budding singer-songwriter yourself? Yeah, well, I hadn't listened to Rich a lot until he passed away. I knew, I think, ones that a lot of people knew, like Awesome God and things like that. But I was at a concert when they came out and announced he had just been killed when I was in Nashville in college as a student. And I could tell that night, it was a, it was a huge outdoor-like festival concert in Nashville where I was. And there was a band called Third Day there, which I'm sure a lot of listeners are familiar with Third Day. And Rich had just played on Third Day's like debut album. And so at this Third Day concert, sandwiched between Third Day and Stephen Curtis Chapman, they came out and announced our friend Rich Mullins has just been killed in a car accident. And they started singing, Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. And just a couple of Rich Mullins songs. And it was just a poignant moment, and it drove me to start looking deeper into who he was. I didn't listen to a lot of Christian music at that time. I was more of a country guy. I wanted to be a lead guitar player and some, you know, I'll be Vince Gill's guitar, you know, not that he needs a guitar player, but anyway, one day I'll be a great, you know. But man, when I started diving into Rich Mullins' music, it was like some of the most profound writing. I'm surprised it even got some of it on Christian radio, to be honest. That's no knock against Christian radio other than to say it's not very commercial. It's extremely poetic. And you want to talk about soul-bearing, uh, you know, at times. I mean, he's he's dealing with the great struggles of life and faith and relationships and everything else. So I I have found many times that I've just found myself weeping listening to the music of Rich Mullins. And my prayer had often been, God, can you, you know, if just in some small way, if if any of my music touches somebody the way that Rich has touched me, then, you know, that's okay. You know, please, you know, help me and somehow to write something of worth and not just something that's trite. And so it meant a lot to me to be able to, to be approached with this song and just say, hey, it's, I feel like in some way I get to be a, a very small part of Rich Mullins's legacy just because of that. And I'm beyond honored to be able to share the song. Well, let's take a listen to this track, Thunder, which was written by Rich Mullins. Is there anything else that you want to tell us that we should be listening for when we hear a little bit of this? When you listen, you you'll should be able to hear thunder that we created in the studio in the background. There's all kinds of little different sounds that we have. But this was a fun one for me because unlike my last album, I got to play a lot of the instruments on this one and kind of create some different space and sounds on this one. So some people who I've shared it with, they said they're kind of wondering what some of the noises are in the background. And mostly it's just we're trying to create a little bit of a chaotic sound in the background. And sometimes in the music, I added some things at the end. There's almost a, a Jimi Hendrix type style riff at the end that it's not Jimmy, but it's it's a it's a close type chord progression because we're just like really wailing on it at the end because the whole idea is that, you know, it sounded like thunder and the whole idea of this thunderous presence of the Lord that's coming through. So that that was fun to work on. But yeah, I can't think of much else to share other than that. Well, this is the track Thunder, written by the late Rich Mullins and recorded by our guest, Rick Lee James. You walked in when the prophets had grown tired of being so inspired, rarely being heard, coming on to a world. 
track Thunder, written by the late Rich Mullins and recorded by our guest, Rick Lee James. You mentioned something a minute ago that I want to circle back to. You said that when you're writing songs, you're writing with an ear to them being used in church services Mm -hmm. and being used by congregations. Mm -hmm. And I heard that as being as opposed to necessarily being played on the radio. So talk to me a little bit about that, because that's a very bold artistic choice, and it's a choice that might have commercial consequences Mm -hmm. down the line. So talk to me about the heart that you have for writing for worship and for congregations. Well, I have been a a music leader at my church for 17 years now, (laughs) and I have found that that just seems to be, I guess, one of the giftings that God has given to me. One of my favorite things is to get my congregation really singing and sometimes just to stop playing. I'll tell all of our instrumentalists, let's just stop. I just want to hear everybody's voices. There's something beautiful in that moment where you can listen to each other and hear each other and knowing that we're in the presence of God and that God is the one guiding us to this place and singing to Him. So that's much more rewarding than trying to find something that'll be commercially successful. And through Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations on that last album, that was the first album I've ever put out where every time I sing songs from it, it seems like every congregation I play it for, they're singing. They're just right there with me doing all the songs. Even if they're unfamiliar at first, they seem to catch on. That has become just life-giving to me. I love being able... I think of like people like Pete Seeger, who, you know, the great folk singer. Uh, it wasn't that Pete was just this amazing talent, but Pete had this skill of uniting a group together, you know, and for him, the joy was in like everybody singing together. And I think there's even more power in that when it comes to something like worship, you know, because when we come together... We're not just singing about this land is your land. We're we're singing about things of eternal consequence and things of real power and about this upside down kingdom of God that even though the world seems to be broken and in decay, we have this promise that guess what? Jesus is coming back one day and this too will be made right. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with our guest, Rick Lee James. He was on the show a couple of seasons ago to talk about his album, Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations. He's back today talking to us about a new project he's been working on called Thunder. We'll be back in a moment. So for those of you that are longtime listeners to Things Not Seen, you may be aware that I do another show called The Francis Effect with my friend Dan Haran. He's a Franciscan priest. Every couple of weeks, he and I get together to bring you commentary on current events from a perspective informed by our Catholic faith. Now, Dan, why should I be talking to you? Who are you? Who am I? I'm a Franciscan friar, a Roman Catholic priest, and a professor of theology here in Chicago. And that's a good question. I have no idea why you should be talking with me. But if people are interested in what a conversation between you, the otherwise uh, respectable host of Things Not Seen, and me, the not-so-respectable Roman Catholic priest and theologian, I think they should tune in. Yeah, they should definitely tune in. So that's The Francis Effect, and you can find it at francisfxpod.com.
You're listening to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. We're happy to welcome back today our guest, Rick Lee James. He was on our show a couple of seasons ago talking about an album that he produced called Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations. He's back today talking about his music ministry, his work on his podcast, Voices in My Head, and also about a new project that he's been working on, an album called Thunder, which gets its title from a song written by the late Rich Mullins, which is exclusively recorded by Rick Lee James for the album. And we've been talking just all around that today. So earlier in the conversation, you mentioned Fred Rogers, and I got interested because I'm a Mr. Rogers fan myself. I'm just wondering, what is it that you find in Mr. Rogers that is so appealing, and how how do you engage with Mr. Rogers on a sort of day-to-day or week-to-week basis? Well, I find him to be one of the greatest examples of someone who lives up to St. Francis's, or at least the words that are attributed to St. Francis, have preached the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. I read some really good books about Fred Rogers. Uh, just because I got a little bit interested, I didn't know a lot about who he was. One of them was The Simple Faith of Mr. Rogers by Amy Hollingsworth. And I discovered he was very good friends with Henry Nowen, and they were a lot of his formation, Fred Rogers' formation, he was so intentional in his disciplined life of prayer, his life of taking care of himself physically. I mean, he, he had a lot of the discipline that comes to embody what it means to be a disciple, you know, of discipleship. So one thing that I just find so fascinating about him was he was even more Mr. Rogers off the camera than he was on. You know, he was just that gentle, kind person who really wanted to live out Jesus's call to love our neighbor as herself. And he was a commissioned evangelist in the Presbyterian Church. And that show was his ministry. And as the director of the new movie, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, once said on a a radio interview recently, he was probably the very first televangelist when you think about it, because we don't think of evangelism in that way. So sort of through my fascination of him and just kind of wanting to learn more about him, uh, I just found he has an immense number of quotes just everywhere. You can look in books, you can look online, you can find him. And I started this just Twitter account called Mr. Rogers Say. It's just Mr. M-I-S-T-E-R Rogers S-A-Y. And maybe a year ago, I started just putting little quotes by Mr. Rogers. It says on the page, you know, I'm not affiliated with Fred Rogers or anything. I just really admire him and I just wanted to put some quotes out. In the last couple of weeks, especially since the movie happened, uh, we've grown to nearly 6,000 followers at this point. And every time I post something, I mean, it's just, you, you could just watch. I could post something while I'm here with you just so you could see if I find a quote by him. My phone will just immediately, you know, just people retweeting it, liking it. I'll get messages saying, I needed that so desperately today. You know, I'm just, I feel so broken because everybody's always just hating and yelling at each other. Thank you for, so it's it's odd to say, but I've, I've been telling people, I feel like it's some of the best ministry I've ever done. And what Fred would say to people that I found out when he, through reading about him, was when people would come to him and say that what he said was some help to them, he would say, well, you know, something to this extent that sacred place between me speaking it and you hearing it is the Holy Spirit doing work in between so that you would hear what you needed to hear today, you know, which is, that's a beautiful thing to say. And he would pray this prayer before he would go into broadcast situations. Lord, let some word that is heard be yours today, you know? So 
I just really admire him and it's become just one of the joys of my life now. Instead of going on like Twitter or something to find out what everybody's raging about, I put this these wonderful little quotes about people's worth and value and how much they're loved. And I just find that people are really thirsty for that, you know. So it's it's kind of been a fun new hobby for me, but it's turned into quite the community. Well, as as you've been engaged in these kinds of things, how have you found that your own ministry has been shaped by the concept of neighborliness or the mm-hmm. concept of radical gospel that doesn't necessarily involve proof texting? Wow. You know, the whole idea that in the kingdom of God, I feel like there are no walls. That's one thing that has really been uh, huge to me in in a world that right now is just it seems just to be for lack of a better word, hell-bent on dividing everybody and us versus them. The gospel just does not allow us to do that, you know. And um, that whole idea that I that I love so much, if I love it from Fred Rogers, I think it's only because it's the Jesus that I see in Fred Rogers and that neighborliness that we have there. Jesus was the one that was going to the outcasts and those who were the Samaritans who would not have been welcome in, you know, certain territories. And I always, it's probably a terrible analogy, but I feel like a phrase that I've been running around my heart. If, if God has a picture of the world, if God, whatever that looks like, if God has an office, (laughs) there's a picture of the world. I don't think there's dividing lines on it. You know, I think that somehow we have to recapture in order to be gospel centered people, I think we we, ha- we have to recapture the idea that we're not different from each other. You know, we are people that God has created. I mean, we, we recited in our creeds that, that we believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And, and that means everything in that is the Lord's, you know, and that doesn't mean that we're different. That means that there's something of God in all of us that he's placed in us. And we have to be, in order to be faithful, we have to be uh, people who have our vision transformed to see that on a daily basis. And the hard part about that is that means our enemies too. And we have to ask God for the grace, Lord, how do I love my enemies into becoming my family? You know, how do we love them that way? And, And yeah, I don't know what else to say about it, but it's very important. And what is it that keeps you hopeful on this journey? Again, Jesus. Uh, I just keep coming back to Jesus. I can't escape him. The Gospels are, uh, they wreck me and they convict me and they break me apart, but they also are so healing. And I think they are the words that while the nations rage, they will also bring the nations healing. Well, Rick Lee James, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I'm so thankful that you had the time in the midst of your travels to come back and speak to us today. I wish you the best of luck with all of your projects, with Voices in My Head podcast, with the new album Thunder, and with your Twitter account tweeting out the uh, <laughs> the words of Fred Rogers. But just thank you for being with me and with our listeners today. What a pleasure. Thank you. We've been speaking today with Rick Lee James. He's a worship leader, a singer-songwriter, a speaker, an author, and a podcast host. You can hear him on his podcast, Voices in My Head. You can also hear his music on albums like Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations, and his upcoming album out this fall called Thunder, which features a song by the late Rich Mullins. You can find out more about all the work that he does at his website, rickleejames.com. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. 
were distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded at the William Adams Studios in beautiful Hyde Park, here on the south side of Chicago. Our studios have a home courtesy of the Zygon Center for Religion and Science, part of the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. Neither Zygon nor LSTC is responsible for the content of this program. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keija. Our show is made possible in part through the generosity of our supporters on Patreon. You can find out how to help us create great programs by going to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. You can follow us on Twitter at notseenradio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and to find out more about our guests. That's facebook.com slash thingsnotseenradio. And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and find out more about our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us.